0: Bismillahir Rahmanir Raheem in the name of Allah, the gracious, the ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi barakatuhu. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. A welcome to the breakfast show on the Voice of Islam Radio. My name is Nafis Kamar, and with me I have Brother Asim Hashmi. A very warm welcome to you, Brother Asim. Assalamu alaikum, Brother Nafis. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, I'm very well. It's a pleasure to have you here. Brother Asim is a missionary and imam of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And, uh, dear listeners, as you know, in this show, uh, in the breakfast show, we have various different topics that we discuss. In today's show, we have uh, we are planning to have two segments. In our first segment, we will be... Uh, looking into the mentions of garden in the Holy Qur'an and how that might have um, affected the garden designs across the Muslim world. So that's something very different, uh, something interesting. Uh, In our second segment today, we will be discussing another very interesting topic where the gist of the story is the ability to control our dreams is a skill to more of us are seeking a to acquire of sheer pleasure. But if taken seriously, scientists believe it could be, it could unlock new secrets of the mind. So very interesting, uh, both segments, one about the mentions of the garden and the Holy Quran, the second one being uh, about lucid dreaming. But before we uh, delve into our um, stories, before we dwell into our segments let's go and head over and look at the news and uh, looking at the papers uh, a speech delivered on Wednesday by Prime Minister Rishi Sunak in which he announced exemptions and delays to several targets in the government's net zero strategy dominates the paper the strategy which is enshrined in law commits the UK to eliminating its contribution to the overall amount of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere by 2050. The Times quotes Mr. Sunak saying he would not impose unacceptable costs on households, but notes that the move faces opposition, even from some Tory MPs. The I calls the change the changes which include a delay to be banned to the ban on a new petrol uh, cars from 2030 to 2035, a nine-year extension to the phase-out of new gas boilers, an election challenge to Labour. It says Mr Sunak has insisted net zero can be achieved with a more pragmatic approach, but also quotes former Prime Minister Boris Johnson, accusing him of f- flattering on climate change and former Tory Environment Minister Zach Goldsmith, calling for an election. The move is one of Mr Sunak's biggest uh, reveals since taking office as part of an attempt to put his government on a more radical path ahead of the next election, according to The Guardian. The paper says the change has been met with the despair by climate scientists and quotes former US Vice President and Climate Uh, campaigner Algo saying the government is doing the wrong thing the financial times uh, says that Mr Sunak has ignited a business backlash and quotes Lisa uh, Rankin chair of Ford UK saying the business needs three things from the UK government ambition commitment and consistency A relaxation of 2030 would uh, undermine all three. The paper adds that Labour has pledged to reinstate the 2030 deadline for petrol cars if it wins the next election. Give us a break, reads the headline of In the Sun. The paper says drivers now have a five-year reprieve from going electric. The Daily Express quotes... The Prime Minister saying he has pushed back green policies that hard-up voters cannot afford in the cost of living crisis. Um, the Prime Minister has vowed to shatter a consensus that has seen successive governments impose green targets with little regard to cost, according to the Daily Mail. The paper says the change could transform Tory fortunes ahead of the coming election. The Daily Telegraph notes that in his speech, Mr Sunak said the change was the first in a series of policy changes that he plans to announce as battle lines are drawn for the next election. The paper also echoes other reports about disconnect among some of the uh, Prime Minister's own MPs, saying the change has reopened to the Tory civil war. Uh, A legal battle by veterans of Britain's nuclear test program to gain access to records of historic blood tests leads the Daily Mirror Campaigners say. Those involved in the tests have suffered health consequences, including cancers and children born with birth defects because of the radiation they were exposed to. One veteran, 86-year-old John Morris, tells the paper he just wants the truth. Elsewhere, the paper covers the king's trip to France with a star-studded uh, state banquet that included Mick Jagger, roc and Royal, the paper puns. The Metro reports that John Venables, who served eight years for the murder of two-year-old uh, James Berger in 1993, has been granted a new parole hearing. Venables was previously freed on license and given a lifelong anonymity. but in 2017 was jailed again for having child abuse images on his computer. The paper quotes Bogus' mother, Denise Fergus, telling the parole panel, when you look at Venables' file, just remember what he is capable of. And the Daily Star says uh, that scientists... In Japan have proved that a big frothy head on your pint makes it better now top it up please barman the paper says so um, interesting and various different things discussed in the papers brother Asim uh, have you found anything interesting
1: absolutely so the, um, into some detailed news uh, first if we go um, to the weather and mm-hmm. uh, that's uh, really important nowadays And the headline says that sunny spells and showers for many, windy in the northwest, mostly fine at first in the east, but showers elsewhere breaking out more widely during the day, some heavy and thundery. Showers more frequent in the north, merging into longer spells of rain at times, staying windy in the north. Uh, Tonight, showers easing across much of England with clear spells developing here. However, showers persisting in the far west and the southeast for much of the night, windy in the northwest. So we do have some showers coming in, just like um, yesterday. And if you look at uh, some news that UK interest rate rise, uh, bets slashed after inflation fall. Investors are split over whether interest rate will be raised again on Thursday, which is today, after figures showed a surprise slowdown in price rises. Uh, A 15th rise in a row to uh, 5.5% from 5.25% was widely predicted, but now only half of investors are predicting a rise. Expectations uh, changed after inflation, which is the rate rise, uh, rate prices rise at was revealed to have fallen unexpectedly to 6.7 in the year to august the bank of england which sets uh, rates will reveal its decision at midday any rise uh, will mean higher interest rates on some mortgage and loans but also higher and uh, saving rates so let's see if the rate rises um as uh, Brother Nafees has um, mentioned about um, Rishi Sunak delays petrol ban, uh, carbon in major shift on green policies. So, skipping all the part which he has already said, um, the key changes are that a five-year delay in the ban on the new sales of new petrol and diesel cars, meaning a requirement for all new cars to be zero emission, will not come into force until 2035, Uh, a nine-year delay in the ban of new fossil fuel heating for off gas grid homes to 2035, Uh, Raising the boiler upgrade grant by 50% to uh, 7,500 to help households who want to replace their gas boilers. And the ban of the new sale of uh, new gas boilers in 2035 remains. But the government will introduce new exemptions for poorer households. Uh, and you also scrapped the requirement to on landlords to ensure all rental properties had the energy performance certificate of grade C or higher from twenty twenty five. Uh Wales twenty miles per hour speed limit destroying companies, claims Boss. A business owner claims Wales' 20 miles per hour speed limit is destroying companies and putting so much stress on people. But the chief executive of uh, one uh, driver training school said we believe the decision would be considered UK wide. Uh, Mark Jones, uh, who lives in Nellalee, uh, said his deliveries were taken an hour and a half longer than usual. I'm getting less and I'm losing more time in my life, he added. It comes after Wales became the first country in the UK to make the speed limit in built-up areas at 20 miles per hour. Excuse me. So, Wales, a minister said a 20 miles per hour limit would reduce deaths and noise and encourage people to walk or cycle, but it has caused controversy with some drivers. So, a petition calling the Welsh. Government to uh, remove the dis- dis- disastrous uh, 20 miles per hour law passed uh, 320,000 signatures on Wednesday night. It is far by far, you know, by the biggest number of signatures on a petition to the Senate. And Mr. Jones' business sells and delivers mattresses and beds across South Wales. He said the 20 miles per hour limit will change how his business operates. He said, don't get me wrong, it would be great outside schools to protect children. But when, you del- deli- when you're delivering all day and you've got to go from village to village or town to town, it just can't be done. I was an hour and a half over on Monday and I'm not getting paid extra for that. So who's paying my loss? I've got less time for my life because I'm spending more time on the road. How I've run for the business for the last 10 years is giving people half an hour when I'll be there. You can't do that anymore. You've got to give a two-hour window. So this is the 20 miles per hour speed limit. Uh, another news that is that Azerbaijan holds Karabakh offensive after a ceasefire deal with Armenian separatists. Azerbaijan president has declared that his country's sovereignty has been restored over uh, Karabakh after a 24-hour military of offensive against ethnic um, Armenian forces. Uh, Some 120,000 ethnic Armenians live in the South uh, Caucasus enclave, uh, recognized internationally as part of Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan now intends to bring the breakaway region under full control. Its military launched an anti-terror operation on Tuesday, demanding that Karabakh's forces rise. A white flag and dissolved the illegal regime, with no matter, no means of support from neighbor, uh, Armenia, and after an effective nine-month blockade, the ethnic Armenians soon gave in. Armenian officials reported that at least uh, 32 people were killed, including uh, seven civilians, and another 200 wounded. However, according to the separatist Armenian human rights official, at least 200 people were killed and more than 400. The BBC has not been able to verify any of the figures. On Wednesday evening, Armenian official accused Azerbaijan of opening fire on troops near the town of Sotk on the border between the two countries after the ceasefire has been agreed, but Azerbaijan immediately denies the claim. So that was um some detailed news from me um if, if you look at uh, one more news um fall in students accepted in into university in u k so the number of eighteen year olds in the u k accepted into universities has fallen for the first time in five years. Applications also fell after demand rose in the pandemic and about eighty five percent of applicants were accepted in both years. Uh, Fewer students got into their first choice of university this year, but more qualified for their second choice or accepted place through clearing. Uh, Top A-level results dropping again this year as grades in England were brought back to pre-COVID levels. The new data from Universities and Colleges Admissions Service, uh, UCAS, shows that 270,350 UK 18-year-olds were accepted on to To a course this year, down from two hundred and seventy five thousand students in twenty twenty two. It is the first time. Um, it is the first fall since uh, twenty eighteen, but the number is still higher than before COVID. The drop in the number of acceptance comes from after overall ac- applications from UK eighteen year olds declined this year from three hundred and twenty three thousand in twenty twenty two to 318,000 in uh, 2023 this year. UK says there has been a, a return to normal growth growth vol- following the surge of demand seen during the pandemic. The fall in demand will not have an effect on all universities equally and data for individual universities is not yet available. So this was some news. Um if we look at some sports we had some interesting matches yesterday Champions League um group stages we had Galatasaray um play against FC Copenhagen the score was 2-2 and in the same group we had an interesting match which was Bayern Munich um versus Manchester United and the score was um, 4-3 to Bayern, we had Sain, Gnabry, Kane and Tell scoring for Bayern and we had Holland scoring and Casemiro scoring twice this was a really interesting match And um, we also had um, Group B, we had Arsenal versus PSV Eindhoven and Arsenal won 4 0 easily we had Saka, Trossard, Jesus and Odegaard scoring also at sevilla Lens, the score was 1-1. And another interesting match was Real Madrid and Union Berlin. Um, Real Madrid was struggling, but at the end, 90th minute and plus four minutes extra time, Bellingham scored and the score was 1-0. Uh, SC Braga and Napoli, Napoli's uh, 1-2-1. Also at Benfica FC Salzburg and Salzburg one 2 0. A real sausage that and Inter drew 1 1. So these were some matches which we had yesterday,
0: absolutely. So, a uh, various uh interesting news items there. Uh, dear listeners, we'll be heading to a short break uh sh- very shortly just before that. Let me just remind you, we we, we have two segments that we will be covering today in our first segment we will be discussing the Holy Quran's mention of gardens and how this might have affected uh, had an effect across the uh, Muslim world Uh, we will be looking with regards to this topic how uh, we sustain we can sustain garden and make use of our natural resources, recycle waste material to create soil uh, what is the advantage of using poorer, un, uh, improved soils? Uh, could these waste material gardens be more sustainable due to reduced need for water? What is the significance of gardens in Islam? So uh, we will end this segment, most importantly, with the Islamic perspective. Uh, in the second segment, we will be exploring lucid dreaming a very, very interesting topic and a slightly unique and different topic for uh, most of our listeners. Uh, With regards to this, we'll be looking into what lucid dreaming actually is and what are its benefits. Uh, We will be looking how can research into lucid dreaming help the medical field? How can someone start uh, lucid dreaming? and uh, we will be discussing of course the islamic uh, angle and islamic aspect with regards to this uh dear listeners you're listening to the breakfast show
2: stay tuned we'll be back after a short break his holiness hazret meza Masroor ahmed the present head of the community continues in his effort to unite people from all faiths and cultures by promoting interfaith dialogue and religious freedom he has traveled extensively to spread the message of peace and to remind everyone to respect the rights of other human beings during these tours his holiness has met world leaders from the far east to europe from north america to africa discussing the economic social and political problems facing the world today and how to create peace and justice in the world He has also met religious and community leaders in order to share common values and core ideals universal to all religions and cultures, with a view to improving the moral state of mankind and creating an atmosphere of love and affection. From young to old, he compassionately listens to the ordinary man, regardless of race, color or religion, he has personally initiated social projects and schemes to alleviate poverty and human suffering. His concern is not just about the well-being and moral state of the members of the Ahmadiyya community, but of the great human suffering of mankind at large. The Ahmadiyya community knows only that Islam, which is the Islam of love and affection, offers a real message of peace and security.
0: Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. wa May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show on the Voice of Islam Radio. We will now begin our first segment for today's breakfast show, where the gist of the story is that the Quran is full of mentions of gardens. First among them, Jannah, the Islamic concept of paradise or heaven and this has led to centuries of distinctive garden designs across the Muslim world um, how can we sustainably garden and make use of natural resources recycle waste materials to create soils to grow uh, that uh, that grow plants um, gardening is a sustainable way uh, is also more economical as it involves using recycled materials reducing the use of natural resources, it requires less maintenance, collecting seeds is a cost um, effective way to keep your flower beds in bloom by increasing the flowers from your own stock. Key to a sustainable garden is choosing the most resilient varieties of plants that can adapt to the weather and conditions they will then require less intervention and maintenance and help maintain ecolo- ecologically um, in, our, in your gardens. Uh, with regards to some of the advantages of using poorer and unimproved soil such as sand, gravel and uh, even rubble, where we will be discussing a few points. But before that i'm very pleased to tell you that with us we have uh, somebody very special and expert uh, with regards to this uh we have uh bob Floudy, bob uh very warm welcome good morning to you good morning good morning uh bob is a well-known british gardener is uh, famous for promoting organic and eco-friendly uh, gardening methods His no-dig gardening approach and informative books have made sustainable gardening accessible to people worldwide. Uh, Bob's friendly advice to the BBC's Gardeners' Question Time has made him a beloved figure in the gardening community, inspiring many to embrace eco-friendly gardening uh, practices and create thriving gardens. Uh, But without any further ado, just want to ask you the first question. How can we recycle materials to improve our garden soil sustainability?
3: Well, the most important thing is to make a compost heap. Mm-hmm. Um, a compost bin. If you've only got a very, very, very small garden, then maybe you should uh, think about uh, having a compost pit. Um, Dig a hole, put everything in it as it comes up, and then you put the soil back on top, mm-hmm. and then plant a plant on top of it. It's actually very simple. Um, then you can go up to what's called the Dalek, you know, one of those... Um, Small, round composting bins the council used to supply. Those are very good. And in a bigger garden, um, make a bigger compost heap. The thing is that almost everything that has ever lived, Mm -hmm. almost everything, Mm -hmm. that includes old woolen pullovers, old cotton sheets and cotton undies, all of these can be composted back to the raw materials and added back to the soil. So it's a wonderful way of recycling all our wastes, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's a wonderful way of improving the soil.
0: Right, Uh, um, I mean with regards to advantage of using less fertile soil, what are the advantages of using less fertile soil or gravel in gardening? Um, These
3: things can be useful as a mulch on top of the soil because they don't have any weed seeds in them Um, and thus you can actually put them on top of things. Uh, So you plant your plants um, and then you put a layer of gravel, crushed stones, broken slate, sand and it keeps the moisture in. It discourages weeds and other things. um, And it can look
0: more attractive. Right. And uh, does sustainable gardening help conserve water resources?
3: Ah, well, now that's depending on what you choose to plant. Obviously, uh, if you choose to plant some things, then you have to water them very regularly, and they cost a lot. So if you... um, want to do bedding plants for instance and you put them out every spring and they die in the autumn they also require a lot of peat when they're growing they require pots and those have to be thrown away there's very little recycling on those so bedding plants can be a very poor method of gardening they're very attractive and people like it Mm -hmm. on the other hand if you put some things um grapevines uh figs these, they never require watering in their entire life. You put them in the ground and they will grow in, in an absolute piece of you know, dry soil that nothing else would ever have managed uh, to grow in. So they are wonderful. In between the two, we have the choice of all the different things. Um, generally, shrubs and trees require less care than herbaceous plants or annuals. Uh, but the choice of what you grow does depend on how, how sustainable it is. Very much so.
0: Right. And... Um... I'm guessing a lot of our listeners will be interested in gardening after this segment. So with regards to that, is there any practical tips for beginners looking to start uh, a sustainable gar- gardening? Oh, yes.
3: First of all, read about it, talk to friends, and think, of it, think every job out three times before you start on it. What are you trying to do? How are you going to do it? And Think it all through, and then measure up if you have to measure. Do it, Measure at least twice. And then you only need to do it once. I think that we often make too much hard work of gardening. You've seen people bring a load of slabs in, to, I suppose they want a little patio, and then they put them down somewhere and then they have to move them. And they have to move them to somewhere else before they ever get to put them in the right place. Be very Think things through before you do them. That's so important.
0: Right. And just lastly, how can community involvement benefit sustainable gardening efforts?
3: well one of the wonderful things is in a street there was all sorts of different people and some of them i'm afraid will probably be a little old and not able to look after the gardens or maybe getting a little ill well there's a wonderful opportunity for people who haven't got much garden space of their own to share a bit with somebody else and look after it for them also if you seek somebody else's garden and tidy it for them cut the grass trim the edges tidy up the leaves, cut off the dead flowers you've got an awful lot of compost material to take home to improve the fertility in your garden
0: Well it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, have learned so much and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have uh, benefited uh, thank you so much for being on today's breakfast show
3: Pleasure and can I just remind you one lovely thing of for course. everybody, everyone in the world thinks gardening is a good thing, it crosses all politics all political persuasions yeah, you cannot find anyone in the world who doesn't think gardening is a good thing. It's the one thing that joins us all together.
0: Absolutely. Hit the nail on the head there. Thank you very much, Bob, once again. Thank you. That was, uh, Bob, a well-known British gardener who's famous for pr- promoting organic and eco-friendly gardening methods. Uh, Brother Asim, what are the advantages of using uh, poorer Unimproved soils such as sand, gravel, or even rubble. I'm sure, I know Bob just touched upon this, but is there anything that we can add to this?
1: Definitely. So poorer, unimproved soils such as um, sand, gravel, or even rubble offer a new way for forward. You know, uh, gardens more adapt at dealing with the, the you know the challenge of the climate crisis. So poor soils produce shorter a sturdier and more resilient and drought-tolerant plants, uh, plants grow more slowly in the poorer soils. But by the uh, second year of the garden, uh, was filled with bright green um, grass, a purple spirals of uh, salvias and a you know catmint spiraling um, over the path. So th- these are some advantages of mm-hmm. poorer and uh, soils.
0: Oh, right. So. Um uh, these uh, waste material gardens uh what with their relation to with the uh, the reduced need for water um what uh with regards to this uh i'm sure a lot of our listeners are probably wondering uh, what is the relationship between them.
1: Um so the use of pesticides in gardening has a you know determinant impact on both gardens uh, and the planet. So a significant reduction in the population of insects as a result of uh you know the use of pesticides has had a serious effect on food chains. So this does not f- uh, you know just affect the problem problematic organisms but also you know, beneficial in insects such as bees. By deciding on native plant species, you can increase the number of pollinating insects attracting to the gardens. Great choices include uh, dandelions uh, and buttercups. So, whilst it may seem that compost is naturally sustainable, this can be, you know, far from the truth depending on the ingredients. Any compost purchased should be uh, pet-free and is not sustainable resource and must be covered as much as possible. So suitable alternatives include uh, coconut fibre or or bracken.
0: Uh, Thank you, Brother Asim. I'm pleased to inform our listeners that with us we have uh, somebody very special and expert with regards to this field. We have with us Charles Downing. Charles, a very good morning to you.
4: Uh, Good morning. Uh, Nice to be here.
0: Uh, very warm welcome once again. Charles has made no-dig popular on, uh, and widely used. He develops and explains other time and labour-saving methods of gardening, uh, high-yielding and nature-friendly, f- uh, including quick ways of growing and picking salad leaves, multi sowing vegetables to growing in clumps, making and using uh, compost. Since 1982, he has created and cropped four no-dig market gardens on different soils, from stone to silt to clay. In the 1980s, he cropped 7.5 acres of no-dig beds. In the 1990s, he uh, also farmed in France. Uh, Without any further ado, uh, I want to ask you what originally inspired you to develop and promote the no-dig gardening method?
4: Ah, thanks. It was just a hunch that the soil could do everything and clearly does everything, grows lovely plants in nature, natural situations, Mm -hmm. without us intervening. And so I wanted to see if it was possible for growing vegetables. I mean, it's not quite the same because, like, you don't go for a walk in the forest and suddenly stumble on a bed of carrots. (laughs) You know, vegetables Mm -hmm. are not really a natural plant to grow. We've highly, they're highly bred, and to get good results, which repay our time and effort. I would say you, you do need to work to get the soil in a, a fertile state but I, I wanted to see if it's possible without uh, disturbing it the, the, the actual soil and it's really paid off it's really working well um, leaving all the, its the soil life is the key uh, when I started out people were only really talking about chemical nutrients feeds and fertilizers uh, as the means to help plants to grow and now we realize that there's so much more to it than that and, and we've got all the biology in the soil which we mm-hmm. can enhance and work with.
1: Definitely. So uh, Charles, could you highlight some of you know, the key benefits of the no-dig method uh, for home gardeners and their environment, please?
4: Yes, absolutely. The key one, I would say, is the time-saving because you're not initially spending time turning over the soil and digging or forking or whatever people normally want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that the result of not doing that is you you get many fewer weeds so it's much more pleasurable you've got a thin layer of compost on top and that um, preserves and protects soil life and feeds soil life and that uh, makes soil kind of happier it doesn't grow so many weeds weeds are part of a recovery mechanism that soil has when it's disturbed you know soil is a living being just like we are and if you think of it in those terms it makes sense that weeds would grow after um violent intervention (laughs) so leaving it alone with a bit Mm -hmm. of compost on top to feed the soil organisms you you just how easy you've got so many fewer weeds and you um they're easier to pull out if they're there and then you you get wonderful harvest as well so you know it's a very much a win-win i would say
1: definitely really interesting so uh, you've you know successfully uh, grown vegetables on different types of soils so what advice would you offer to other gardeners dealing with you know various soil conditions?
5: Yeah,
4: well the the, the only soil that could be difficult for vegetables is is a very thin uh, one with you know mainly sand or gravel or soil or, or or stones I mean um you know in that case yeah you you need to um, I would say add more compost um this is where people question me they say well where's all this compost coming from? For for most soils, you don't actually need a lot. And actually, I would disagree with your previous um, interviewee there, who said that compost is not sustainable. Um, It absolutely is, because you can make compost from anything, any waste product. You know, compost is just a conversion of wastes. And when when you get organised, you realise there's lots of waste vegetation, of a better word, out in nature, and and we can collect it, and, and you know you don't need a huge amount once once you've got no dig beds in place i'm putting on um two and a half centimeters a year of compost and, and that's for double cropping uh, that's on a good soil if you're on a poor soil i uh, would go up to around four centimeters a year uh, but that's using no feeds no fertilizers no slug pellets there's no other inputs uh, i recommend you know a lot of people spend a lot of money on wooden sides for beds you don't need to do that you can have open-sided beds so if you look on compost as your only input it's a very economical method
6: hmm,
1: Interesting So, you know, as an advocate for organic gardening, how do you see the role of sustainable gardening in terms of <laughs> preserving biodiversity and ensuring food security?
4: Yeah, well, no dig ticks that box big time, because what's often not considered in, in looking at the you know biodiversity and wildlife is, is the biodiversity and wildlife of soil itself, and so to start with just leaving all that alone is a massive bonus for nature. You know, you're, you're, you're giving so much back or allowing so much to happen naturally.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And then, um, yeah, you basically, because you're not having to intervene much and, and, you know, disturb the soul by doing big weeding and that kind of thing. Um, that's all good in terms of, because you've got soil health, strong soil health, your plants are more healthy. I, I don't need to use any poison sprays or anything like that. Um, to control insects and disease um, I would say for vegetables do some homework make sure you sow and plant things in the right time that will help massively um, I plant flowers amongst my vegetables but I don't overdo that but it's very nice to have some flowers in the vegetable garden so you, you can mix things up to a point you've got to be careful there though that if you have too many flowers and shrubs near to vegetables you can get a build-up of, sorry um, slugs and mm. uh, you know slugs is number one pest in terms of they'll destroy your crops <laughs> if you're not careful so um, you, you've got to have your wits about you you know nature doesn't just automatically do what we want and it's a question of working with nature to get the results we desire
0: all right and uh, just lastly what future developments or trends do you foresee in the field of sustainable gardening and uh, organic farming
4: ah, well that's interesting I think above all I would say no dig no till leaving the soil alone as much as possible that's a really big one that has not been looked at much and from that flow so many of the other benefits i've been mentioning and i think also another one is the benefit that's being more and more realized of growing your own food getting all that biome it's called the 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 microbes the biology that's in soil transfers with the vegetables you eat from your soul into you into your gut you get a much healthier state of being and and mental awareness and everything actually the gut is so important so i think that's going to be a big one people grow more at home i would urge any of your listeners with any possibility to do this to to grow some more of their own food that they can harvest at home uh
0: charles it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you there's a lot of priceless information and advice you have given us Uh, thank you so much for being with us on the breakfast show today.
4: It's a great pleasure. Go Thank ahead.
0: you. Thank you very much. Um, dear listeners, uh, as our custom, we always look into the Islamic perspective of, our, um, of the stories and uh, topics that we discuss. Uh, with regards to uh, the significance of gardens in Islam, there are dozens of mentions of gardens in the Holy Quran and dozens more of uh, trees and growing of vegetables, grains and fruits, dates in particular. Beyond this, they are mentioned in the poetry of Rumi and Dabid and other Islamic mystics and writers, including uh, the Persian poet Ferdosi. The garden tradition that was adopted by the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and his followers predates the religion itself The blend of Mughal gardens with English and British uh, sensibilities during the British Raj alone could fill whole volumes. To take one example, the gardens around the Taj Mahal are currently planted with grass. uh, A decidedly English uh, adaptation of the clover ground cover um, that uh, Muslims of Mughal builders would have preferred And they would all originally have uh, featured uh, cypresses for uh, shade and fruit trees whose produce would have been sold to pay for the tomb's uh, upkeep. Meanwhile, the garden's fountains uh, rise from carved lotus buds. Uh, A Hindu mufti that might speak to the Hinduism on his mother's side of the Taj Mahal's uh, the Emperor Shah Jahan. The whole complex beyond the building itself is evident of a blend of religious uh, aesthetics uh, and influences.
1: Definitely. So, y- y- you know, on, on 11th April 2017, His Holiness Azamiza Masro Ahmad planted a tree at uh Nasir Mosque in uh, Augsburg in Germany. So during his keynote address, he emphasized that, you know, besides, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, that besides uh, planting trees for uh, aesthetic purposes, the MDM Muslim community also cultivates trees of love and affection. So His Holiness elaborated that drawing reference from the Holy Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that while it is a significant duty for a Muslim to fulfill the obligations to God Almighty, it is, you know, equally crucial to serve God's creation and uh, elevate the hardship experienced by the majority of the people in the world. So, uh, you know, Allah's Messenger, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that there's none amongst the Muslims who plant a tree, uh, or sow seeds, and then a bird, or a person, or an animal eats from it. But it is regarded as a charitable gift for him. That's from Bukhari. Uh, so you know the MD Muslim Committee has o- always and looked at this and planted trees, uh, thousands of trees. So the MD Muslim community, ladies in, uh, ladies in Stephen and UK planted trees as part of their uh, centenary celebrations to combat the climate emergency. The, you know, the in- initiative underscores their commitment and to environment uh, conservation, addressing climate change and the positive impact of community action on the environment and local communities. So uh, as we, as you can see, the Muslim community is doing its best, and of course we will try to do more. Uh, we do plant trees, thousands of trees across and uh, the UK, but not only UK, across the globe as well.
0: Absolutely, you are absolutely right. I mean, I remember just I think two years ago, the um, women's side of the community, uh as they are known. Uh, They were given the target to plant 100,000 trees by His Holiness, uh, the fifth head of the Ahmadiyya, the spiritual head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and so on and so forth. And all the other auxiliary organizations, they uh, contribute to the uh, environment and try to save the environment and do as many things as they can. Um, With regards to the importance for caring for the environment, uh, there is an audio clip uh that will explain or talk about this. Uh we will go to that audio clip uh, very shortly but um just before that uh with regards to carrying on with the um Islamic perspective uh the Holy Quran uh in a number of places has uh, as Brother Asim has mentioned has uh, mentioned gardens and uh how it has been um uh, used as a metaphor in fact uh, with regards to uh, the hereafter and jannah uh, and um a lot of people probably be wondering and asking themselves that how is that possible how can a, you know how can you grow things in a spiritual world and so on and so forth and a hadith of the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam explains this very very uh, clearly he says that uh, um no eyes have ever seen what has, what is to come in the hereafter in the jannah. No ears have ever heard. It has not crossed the mind of anyone. So uh, when uh, it talks about gardens uh, and fruits and whatnot in the spiritual world, in the hereafter, in the jannah, it is obviously used as a metaphor. And the Quran also talks about um, that what those believers, those fortunate believers who will be allowed to enter paradise uh, when once they will enjoy these fruits and the benefits of Jannah and enjoy their presence in Jannah they will say that we have had something similar in the uh, in the world that they lived in uh, in their life that they have spent on this earth so the here where the Quran has used the word similar it also shows that there is a clear difference and it's not exactly that what you have uh, witnessed in this world. We are approaching the 8 o'clock news. Uh, After the news, we'll um, listen listen to a short audio clip after which we will head off to our second segment. So stay tuned.
7: Are non-Muslims allowed inside a mosque? Anyone is allowed inside a mosque as long as they are clean and dressed modestly. People should also take off their shoes before entering the mosque to keep the mosque clean, as the worshippers have to prostrate on the floor. People of any faith are also allowed to pray in a mosque, as long as they are not worshipping idols. A good example of this is when Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, allowed a group of Christians to hold their prayer service inside his mosque in Medina, Muzurkani. The Amitya Muslim Association UK has built several mosques around Britain, including the first mosque in London, 1924 and the largest mosque in Western Europe, in Morden. Opened in 2003.
0: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show um, at The Voice of Islam. We were discussing uh, the significance of gardens and the mention of the gardens in the Holy Qur'an and how it has affected the Muslim world. And just before the break, uh, we were going to uh, listen to an audio clip where it's talked about this with regards to the um, uh, Quranic teachings uh, from Faith Matters, so uh, let's take a look.
7: Well, Allah the Almighty is the creator of all, the creator of the universe is more than one. is is the master and that he has created all for is for our benefit and this is what he mentions in the holy quran that all that has been created has been created created for man and obviously something that has been gifted to us whenever someone gives a gift to a person that person is expected obviously to cherish it if he loves that person and to look after it and and tries to maintain it in the condition that was given to him this is the gift that has been given to us so the universe is a gift that Allah the Almighty actually has given to the human race as such. And everything that has been put in it has been put in it with a specific purpose. Everything that God has created has been created with purpose and nothing is without purpose. And that is for the benefit of man who is the greatest of God's creation. So this planet is, is, uh, is the place of our abode in this life. And it is the duty of every man to be able to look after and cherish that planet and to make sure that the balance that God has created in the, in, in the universe is not disturbed in any, in any respect. And that brings you to the question of uh, the environment and how man looks after the environment. And this is something that we know that uh, is now fully researched as how man destroys the environment and what needs to be done to make sure that we are not uh, harming the in- environment as well. In Surah Rahman, Allah says, mm-hmm. shamsu kamaru najmu shajaru wa arafa aha wa almizan." So you know, God is pointing out to us that the sun and the moon run their courses according to their fixed times. And the stemless plants and the trees submit to him, even the tiniest of stemless plants that they are submit to God Almighty as, as the creation. The heaven he has raised high above and set up as a measure that you may not transgress. This is the important thing, that you must not transgress the measure. Mm-hmm. And this is the Almighty pointing out to us that the universe, in fact, has been created with good measure and man must not do anything that will upset that measure, upset that balance. So it is our responsibility, each individual person, each society, each community, has this responsibility of looking around them and see how one must pay due regard, due attention to looking after the environment as such. And we know that there are many things that we are aware of now, uh, which man must do in order to make sure that yes, he uses the uh, uh, universe, the world as has been given to him, and takes benefit of all that has been provided by God Almighty, but he does not misuse that to that degree. We talk about uh, deforestations obviously in parts of the world where trees have been cut down you know, on a scale and all the issues that they have caused uh, in those parts and other parts is something that we are well, well aware of. The Holy Prophet sallam, you know, he discouraged uh, Muslims that when you go to war, when you conquer, you should not cut down trees, fruit-bearing trees. And you know, that was given 1400 years ago. And now man is now realizing the importance of maintaining this balance by not cutting down trees unwontedly. And he gave a, 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 a advice on a Muslim that he, when he plants a tree, he looks after it, it bears fruit, birds eat of it, then that Muslim is rewarded for that good act that he has done. And that actually shows us the actual life cycle of different, uh, pe- different uh, creatures who will benefit from that one act of that one person. Mm-hmm. Then we have wastage, you know, this is an, or water wastage. Water is an essential part of this universe uh, that we have and it is an essential part of our life. And this is something that we have always to look after. So wastage of water is something that obviously one needs to be well aware of so that it does not create problems in, in that nature. So man as an individual has been given the custodianship of this planet and it is his responsibility and the Holy Prophet Allah 1400 years ago has pointed these out to us and it is our responsibility to make sure that we are abiding by the true nature and teachings of Islam unfortunately we see some events in recent past in, in certain parts of the world where so-called Muslims have actually have disregarded all these teachings not in just terms of the religion of Islam and the practices of Islam, but also with regard to the environment and are damaging the environment in that respect. So that is something that we all need to be wary of that uh, it is a, a gift from God, a gift that we must cherish and continue to uh, seek the benefits and rewards of that in- environment.
0: So that was a uh, audio clip from programs Faith Matters where through us to the Quranic teachings. Uh, about uh, gardening and uh, how the quran and has shed light upon this while the islamic teachings are what do we owe to our planet and the universe the earth that we live on that allah has given us and that also brings us to the end of our first segment uh, to our on our breakfast show this morning Uh, without any further ado we will start our second segment now and the we have a very interesting topic in fact and the gist of the story is uh, the ability to control our dreams is a skill that means that uh, more of us are seeking to acquire for sheer pleasure but if taken seriously scientists believe it could unlock new secrets of the mind so a very interesting topic lucid dreaming and I'm sure a lot of our listeners probably wondering or some of our listeners at this stage are probably wondering what is lucid dreaming and what are its uh, benefits, Brother Asim? Absolutely. So, um,
1: you know, lucid dreams occur when you are aware that you are dreaming while Mm -hmm. sleeping. So you are aware that events running across your mind are not real. However, the dream seems vivid and real. You may even be able to command the actions as if you were Directing a movie in your sleep. The majority of lucid dreams occur when you uh, occur basically during the rapid eye movement uh, REM sleep, a period of the sleep cycle in which brain activity is, you know, the prefrontal cortex is increased, but your muscles are generally paralyzed. Uh, You know, science reveals some characteristics of uh, lucid dreaming that may be beneficial. It it says that improved uh, problem solving skills. Lucid dreaming allows people to actively engage in and modify their dreams which can lead to better pro- problem solving abilities in real life. Also increase self-awareness. So lucid dreams can promote self-awareness by allowing individuals to watch their thoughts and feelings while they're asleep. Um also leading to a better understanding of themselves. So according to research, uh, lucid dreamers have a bigger brain area renowned for self reflection, uh, which might imply that they're better you know that they're better at self reflection also reduces nightmares. So lucid dreaming may be utilised to confront and overcome phobias or traumatic events that present you know, as nightmares, and it can also benefit later uh, on if fully, you know, clarity cannot be obtained.
0: Right. Uh, with regards to this, we one of our team members did interview Dr. Nigel Hamilton, who serves as the founding director of the Centre of Counselling, Psychotherapy, Education, and he is the co-founder of the DRI Centre for, Dre- for uh, Dream Institute, um, he runs workshops uh, and and trainings and retreats in the UK and abroad and so on and so forth. So we were very, very fortunate to have uh, interviewed him and he we also was thankful that he took his time out and uh, shared his expertise and his knowledge with us. Uh, let's take a look at uh, what he had to say.
8: So today with us, we have Dr. Nigel Hamilton, who serves as the founding director of the Center for Counseling and Psychotherapy Education and co-founder of the DRI Center for Dream Studies. He runs dream workshops, trainings, and retreats in the UK and abroad. He has published his book, Awakening Through Dreams, The Journey Through the Inner Landscape in 2014, and he's former British representative for the Sufi Order International. Dr. Hamilton, welcome to The Breakfast Show.
6: Thank you, good evening to you all.
8: Thank you. So my first question was that lucid dreaming means to know what you're dreaming whilst we are asleep. How is this different from normal forms of dreaming?
6: Well, the first feature of the experience of lucid dreaming is that one is extremely wide awake. You become almost hyper aware uh, it's, it's a very different quality to dreaming, which is more has more of a, a more impersonal sense to it. Uh, you know, you're watching things or you're participating, but you're not really um, fully conscious. Whereas in lucid dreaming, you're very conscious of what you're looking at. Uh, and uh, for example, you know, you can actually touch things. You, you know, you could can hear, hear things, see things, um, and so you can even talk. So. It's um, it's a very different experience uh, to, to, um, to to the normal dream experience.
8: Okay, thank you for explaining that. It's quite interesting because in most cases, dreams can reflect what's on our mind. For example, if it's exams for some students or if it's a person who's trying to pay the bills or even if it's like an upcoming holiday. But yes. then these can be, um, you know, what Significant does lucid dreaming have in, in
6: comparison to those? Well, uh, lucid dreaming in that sense is no, not a lot different f- from dreaming. I mean, you could, for example, become lucid uh, that, uh, about something that you are concerned about and you'd see that in the dream. But uh, mostly, or more generally, uh, uh, dreams are, uh, are more about um, what is on our minds, what we're worried about. What we're concerned with but lucid dreaming seems to go deeper in our consciousness uh it's, it's as i say it's a, it's a almost like a super conscious state um, of, of being aware and in that state of course you have the opportunity to interact with the dream in a conscious way uh, now some people um well the conventional view is that you can control the lucid dream uh, much of my research, uh, and including my colleague that I work with, um, suggests that that is not entirely true, that um, some some characters and some lucid dreams, we are not fully in control. Uh, in other words, there's something behind the dream that is actually uh, aware of us and communicating with us. Although, to a large extent, uh, one can, for example, um, uh, Make a choice, you know, to go to move somewhere, move to the left, to the right, to fly or not to fly. Uh, that's the more conventional application of lucid dreams. Uh, but there, there's a very, very interesting um, a new area of, of research in which we're realizing that there's there's a kind of higher purpose or higher self or higher consciousness, almost like a higher mind that's behind the dream mind.
8: Interesting, and is also lucid dreaming a way for us to process our burden of thoughts and worries in the first place?
6: Yes, it is. Uh, well, I mean, one of the most uh, practical uses of lucid dreaming is being used in in, in therapeutic practice, whereby uh, people who have nightmares uh, mm-hmm. and they can't they can't stop the nightmares uh, and they feel quite uh, distressed uh, about it. Um, if you could teach the person to lucid dream, then in yeah. the lucid dream, you, all they need to do is have the person change one item in the dream, like an image, okay. uh, or what has often happened with uh, patients I've worked with is, is that they remember they are lucid dreaming, and the dream is actually uh, 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 in part their own construct. You see, uh, and that, mm-hmm. in other words, the grip of the nightmare then disappears. Now, the other way of dealing with, with dreaming is in the waking state to have a person go through the dream. This is what I describe in my book, Awakening Through Dreams. Yes. That you go through the dream and you track the, the experience of the dream literally through the felt sense in the body. In other words, you actually feel where it is actually where the images are sitting in the body. And, uh, and once you, you engage the person quite deeply that way then you find that you you can help them change the dream in their waking state. And and I've had quite a lot of success in working with people that uh, the grip of nightmares can actually be be released and people can be free of them. So uh, there there are different ways of doing it, um, but but, um, you can actually work with the person's dream state in the waking state um by 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 working on the dream so that that can be very very effective
8: wow that sounds very incredible indeed so you just mentioned your book um Awaiting through dreams um i wanted to ask because you believe that our dreams are key to our awakening and that by actively engaging with them we can enhance our own unfoldment so yeah. how did you come up to this conclusion and why did you give the book this core thesis
6: well, uh, this all came from my own personal experiences. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I've spent many years in a very long, um, arduous uh, retreats, um, what we call Sufi retreats, um, where one is, goes into isolation and one works with one's spiritual practices. But what is very interesting is that you become start becoming very, very conscious of your dreams. And what I did was, first of all, begin to uh, every time I woke up from a dream, I would record it <laughs> during the night. And I noticed that the dreams seemed to be following the, the depths of consciousness that I was going through. Because, you know, in, in uh, sleep theory, you, you, we've, we can show that, that actually you go through different uh, dream stages of dreaming. There are five major stages of dreaming. And it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and then starts to come back in the morning more towards waking. Now each stage, the five stages, each stage actually, you can get a, a different kind of dream, but even if it's in the same night, and it's got nothing to do necessarily with what you've been thinking about during the day. You see, So that began to tell me there's something else going on. Dreams can track your state of consciousness
3: Mm -hmm. Uh,
6: And as I was going through stage, going deeper and deeper, the dreams were reflecting to me uh, exactly where I was in my consciousness. So this gave Mm -hmm. me the idea that um, uh, one can work with dreams um, to help awakening. And of course, one sees this uh, in people who've had um, like a major dream in their life, a very important dream. And it's, it's very rare. But when you work with it, it often turns to be. Turns out to be the turning point in that person's life. You know, something major starts to change and unfold. So, all these these uh, ideas and experiences uh, became part of my my thesis: awakening through dreams.
8: So. Okay, thanks for explaining. And also, did you say there are five stages of dreaming?
6: Yes, yeah, so the five the five clinical stages of dreaming. They, they measure this in, in the sleep laboratories. Uh, from, from from going from the waking state into each each stage, it goes all the way through to deep dreaming, and then comes all the way out again. But there are five distinct stages. So, uh, uh, and and you can uh, you know in the Buddhist tradition, they often talk about uh, going th- through different stages uh, in meditation or in sleep, and this seems to to be borne out through sleep research. So,
8: okay, thank you for explaining that. Now, last question. It is said that the ability to have lucid dreams can be learned to what extent is it possible and is it something that all people should try at least once
7: well
6: the first thing is is to be able to remember your dreams we all dream every night uh, whether we're aware of them or not uh, we all have many many uh, dreams during the night uh, and it, it uh, very often we only become aware of a dream when it's very prominent or if it's a nightmare or something but actually, if you start to record your dreams, and if you can't remember your dreams, then you, you, begin, to, uh, you begin a ritual of, of uh, giving yourself a, an induction. Tonight I shall when I wake up, I will remember my dreams. You do this every night, uh, for week after week after week, and eventually you will begin to remember the dreams. Um, there is a, what we call a fitness barrier between waking and sleeping. And the more you you remember your dreams, the thinner that thickness barrier is until eventually um, you will remember your dreams every single night. Think. So, um, so that's the first stage. The next stage is, well, how do you become lucid? Uh,
7: mm-hmm.
6: uh, and uh, there's a very, very good book by my colleague, uh, Robert Wagoner. Uh, who's an international dream, lucid dream expert. Uh, He's written a book called Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple. And I highly recommend that people read that because that details very clearly how to learn to lucid dream. But the basic ideas are quite simple. Um, For example, asking yourself during the day, am I dreaming? Am I dreaming? All the way through the day. And of course, that thought carries itself over into the dream at night. And when you're dreaming, uh, you, you, you suddenly ask yourself the same question. You suddenly realize I am dreaming. See? So that's one method. Um, and there there are several there are several other other uh, ways of doing it that are described in Robert Wagner's book. So um, I recommend that.
8: Okay, thank you for explaining that. Well, it was great to speak to you today, Doctor Hamilton. Thank you so much for your time and for explaining lucid dreaming in so much detail. That's a pleasure um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, we hope to speak to you again soon. Thank
0: you. That was a pre-recorded interview for of Dr. Hamilton where he shared with us his uh, priceless knowledge and advice regard, with regards to um, lucid uh, dreaming.
1: Absolutely. So we were discussing what lucid dreaming is and what the benefits of uh, this is. Um, if you look at... Um, and a narration of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and narrated by Abu Sayyid Al Khudri, and he says that if anyone of you sees a dream that he likes, then it is from Allah, and he should thank Allah for it and narrate it to others. But if he sees something else, meaning a dream that he dislikes, then it is from Satan, and he should seek refuge from with Allah from its evil, and he should men- not mention it to anybody, for it will not harm him. So that was a narration of mm-hmm. the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him
0: right and as Dr. Hamilton um, mentioned uh, I mean dreams um, as we would understand is uh, as well as a, a visual thing it's also an emotional experience um, for an individual whilst they're sleeping so uh, as uh, Dr. Hamilton mentioned there are five stages uh, of uh, dreaming uh, stages one to four for being uh, uh, deeper sleep and fifth stage called rapid eye movement uh, dreams occur in the REM the rapid eye movement stage dreams are one way in which God communicates with an individual although most dreams are just uh, routine psychological experiences during uh, REM sleep most dreams are personal reflections of one's subconscious or their emotional state state a vision is like is, is a dream-like experience, but with the difference that uh, the individual is not in the REM stage of sleep. They could be awake and focusing intently on a particular subject, thus relatively disconnect with the immediate environment, or they could be uh, half asleep, dozing off, but not fully uh, asleep. Uh, just want to come back to the point of. Um, where God can show you a dream. Because these days a lot of uh, people are talking about the existence of God, whether God even exists or not, or whether he, if He exists, what kind of a God is that? Does He even speak or not? Does He communicate with His people or not? And we as Ahmadi Muslims who believe uh, in the Messiah of the age, Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of and the Imam Mahdi, uh, we believe and we have been told by the promised Messiah who in fact took all his knowledge and teachings in submission to the Holy Prophet Sallallahu that Allah still speaks today like he did 1400 years ago. And dreams and visions is just one way of his communication. Uh, a lot of people at the time of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu did experience a living God through uh, revelations dreams visions so on and so forth the misunderstanding sadly these days is that 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 was only in the past and god god forbid does not speak anymore however there is hundreds of people who are part of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and as god is lord of all the world there must be people even outside the Muslim community to whom god speaks to with even through uh, dreams so many people Um, I have met and come across and a number of uh, Ahmadis must have met and come across who would be praying with regards to a certain matter and God would uh, show them in a dream the outcome or the result or they would be worried uh, with regards to a certain issue and God would show show them a solution and uh, their problem would be solved. So many people have seen dreams. Uh, with regards to the f- future, what uh, would happen in the future, um, future events taking place in the world or in their personal lives, and so on and so forth, and these uh, things come true, how is it then possible for an individual to still question the existence of God or question whether there is a superior power or being above us? Clearly, uh Science cannot explain, nobody can explain how this uh, somebody can be even informed of something with regards to the future or with regards to the unseen. And uh, it can just be out of the blue. Clearly there is a being that's more powerful, there is a creator that is above us. There is God and Islam has named that God and Allah has uh, chosen the name Allah for himself so um coming back to uh, consciousness and lucid dreamings uh we will be discussing the neuroscientists what do neuroscientists mean by dual consciousness and so on and so forth but before that we will be heading off for a short break stay with us
5: A revolutionary change was brought in the Arabian Peninsula by the Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him. He established a fair society, respect for women, and created brotherhood amongst the various tribes in his very lifetime. He promoted education in numerous ways, changing the entire landscape of Arabian society. People who were previously looked down upon soon became leaders in all aspects of human life. The Holy Quran commanded Muslims to spread throughout the world and experience the vastness of God's creation. Within a few hundred years, a relatively short span of time, Muslims became the educators of the world. They became pioneers in medicine, physics, history, geology, and civil and military administration. During the centuries of European history defined as medieval, the most advanced civilization in the world was undoubtedly Islam. In a time spanning close to a thousand years, an era known as Islam's golden age. The holy founder of Islam, peace be upon him, placed great emphasis on learning. His specific instruction was to seek knowledge from the cradle to the grave. It is the quest for knowledge which opens the doors of progress, where Muslim minds seek not only to prove their own genius, but to implement it for the service of their creator. Islam's rapid spread during the time of the holy prophet, peace be upon him, and under the leadership of the rightly guided khalifa, precipitated what is commonly referred to as the golden age of Islam, a period which ushered in immense contributions to philosophy, science, engineering and governance. The development of modern medicine, astronomy and mathematics, the refinement of algebra and trigonometry and the use of optics in a physical manner are all legacies from the Islamic era. Muslim scientists brought both knowledge and application into inventions which are still pertinent to modern life today. Small tools ranging from scissors all the way up to complex water-powered pumping machines and standardised weighing scales were all invented by Muslim scientists. Indeed, their legacy lives on, but it's not just through the machines themselves, but also the words, many of which are derived from Arabic origin. Words include algebra, algorithm, alchemy, and camera are all derived from root Arabic origin. In the 8th century, Khalid the goat herder noticed his excitable animals had eaten red berries, which led to coffee production and the early Arabic drink, al-kahwa. This surfaced in Europe at the first Venice coffee house in 1645, making it the world's favorite hot beverage today. In the 8th century, Jabir ibn Khayyan devised and perfected the distillation process using the alembic still which is still used today. Muslims were producing rose water, essential oils, and pure alcohol for medical use. Today, distillation has given us products ranging from plastics all the way to petrol. Early 13th century, al-Jazari was the first person to use a crank, which transmits rotary motion into linear motion. His machines were able to raise huge amounts of water without anyone lifting a finger. Muslims also pioneered use of alternative energy through windmills and the construction of dams and water reservoirs. The invincible designs of 12th-century castles of Syria and Jerusalem were imitated in Western lands with key features like round towers, arrow slits, barbicans, and battlements. Muslim architecture techniques of the 8th and 10th century, such as rib vaulting, the pointed and horseshoe arch were the main inspiration on which Gothic architecture was based. These techniques enabled European architects to overcome problems in Romanesque vaulting and are prevalent in surviving Gothic architecture all across Europe today. More than a 1,000 years ago, in a darkened room known as Gamara in Arabic, Ibn al-Khaydam observed light coming through a small hole in the window shutters, producing an upside-down image on the opposite wall this early pinhole camera has led to the camera we know today. In the 13th century, Ibn al-Khaldum traced the rise and fall of human societies in the science of civilization, recording it all in his famous book, Al-Muqadamah, or Introduction to a History of the World, which forms the very basis of sociology and economic theory today. The Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said, he who issues forth in search of knowledge is busy in the cause of Allah till he returns from his quest. In this hadith, travellers emphasised in relation to the seeking of knowledge and the emphasis on movement intertwined with knowledge refers to the pilgrimage to Mecca. This emphasis on movement alongside knowledge seeking became a dominant cultural aspect of medieval Islam. Perhaps one of the most famous explorers of all time Ibn Battuta travelled over 75,000 miles in 29 years' time through over 40 modern countries, compiling one of the best eyewitness accounts of the customs and practices of the medieval world. Muslims were also the first people to commonly hold the idea of a round earth. In the 11th century, al-Idrisi was commissioned by the Norman king of Sicily to make a map. He produced an atlas of 70 maps called the Book of Roger, showing the earth was round Al-Adrisi also made a globe out of silver to further stress the point. Maths, known as the language of nature, has been an integral part of Islamic science, as well as developing existing Greek concepts like trigonometry and giving us the numerals we use today. In the 8th century, Al-Khwarizmi introduced the beginnings of algebra and it was developed into a form we still use today by many Muslims who followed him. Second World War problem solvers were carrying on the code-breaking tradition first written about by polymath Al-Ghindi from Baghdad when he described frequency analysis and laid the foundation of cryptology. Cutting edge surgeon Al-Zahrawi introduced over 200 surgical tools that revolutionized medical science more than 1,000 years ago. These tools look identical to modern day 21st century tools used in various types of surgery. It was the gravitational pull of Khalafit that precipitated the rapid progress of Islam during its golden era. Once caliphate on the precept of prophethood ended, the dominance of Islam soon began to fade. Today, the renaissance of Islam continues in the form of caliphate in Ahmadiyyat, instituted after the demise of the promised Messiah, As with the holy founder of the community, the Khulafa over the past 100 years have written numerous books embodying a massive amount of religious information Under the divinely inspired leadership of khalafat, therefore the gravitational pull of unity is restored and the golden era of Islam is once more within sight
0: Assalamualaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh Welcome back to the breakfast show on the Voice of Islam radio Just before we went to the break we were talking about lucid dreaming and the five stages of Dreaming, uh, and we will also listen to in a very interesting interview of Dr. Hamilton. Um, what do neuroscientists mean by uh, um, dual consciousness? Uh, Brother Asim, could you shed some light upon this?
1: Absolutely. So, in neuroscience, dual consciousness is a speculative idea, mm-hmm. it has been hypothesized that a person may produce two independent. Consciousness beings uh, with one brain having a corpus callosotomy. Uh, this theory gained attraction in the neuros, you know, scientific community. While well, certain split-brain patients displayed alien hand syndrome, leading some scientists to conclude that when the corpus uh, is destroyed, the left hand, half of the brain moves. There must be uh, two conflicting consciousness one in the left hemisphere and one in the right hemisphere. The concept of split consciousness has sparked a debate in the scientific profession. So there is currently no clear proof uh, for the suggested uh, uh, phenomena.
0: Right. Um, A lot of symbolism is used in dreams. Um, uh, Objects and events (coughs) do not carry the literal meaning. Instead, they require an interpretation in accordance with circumstances and a person's psychological state. The Holy Quran refers to the subconscious uh, 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 of the human mind, um, our thoughts and feelings that we may not be aware of in chapter twenty verse eight. It is subconscious that has a significance impact on our daily dreaming. Islamic practice of our daily prayers that involve practice of mindfulness and meditation facilities or being in commune with our subconscious. This enables self-reflection and therefore self-reformation. Research with regards to lucid dreaming uh, that has helped in medical fields uh, for basically over three decades, lucid dreaming has been a scientifically validated strategy for treating uh, recurrent nightmares. But this new study from the Institute of Neotic Sciences in California is the first to employ lucid Dreaming to alleviate not only nightmares, but full-blown PTSDs. Uh, in 15 years of working with military veterans and people with PTSD, I have never seen such outstanding results, said Charlie Morley the British Lucid Dreaming teacher, author of Wake Up to Sleep, and 2018 Churchill Fellow who was uh, facilitating the study. This is a true advance in the treatment of trauma. Despite the fact that it was only a pilot trial, it appears that Lucid Dreaming uh, has the potential to be one of the most powerful therapies of PTSD, currently available. The findings were so convincing that the same researchers went on to execute a 100 person randomized controlled trial. By the end of the trial more than 85% of individuals had seen such a significant reduction in PTSD symptoms that they were no longer classed as having PTSD. Um, There are few techniques one can try to start lucid dreaming, uh, would you set some light upon that with um, Definitely.
1: Definitely. Um, so there are a few techniques you can start to try lucid dreams. First one is uh, practice good sleep hygiene. So sleep hygiene is essential for lucid dreaming, maintaining a cool and dark sleeping environment in the evening uh, avoiding coffee and alcohol. Remove any electronic device from the bedroom and avoid screens for at least thirty minutes before going to bed. Uh, A nightly ritual relaxes your mind and prepares for its uh, deep sleep. Uh, Good sleep hygiene ensures that you receive enough hours of sleep each night to experience REM sleep on a regular basis, which is required for lucid dreaming. Uh, Secondly, use a dream journal. Uh, A knowledge of one's ideas is required for lucid dreaming. Consistent dream writing is a good way to improve self-awareness and maybe, you know, also increase the frequency of lucid dreams. And maybe keep a notepad and a pen on your bedside and make it a habit to write down what you recall from your dreams every time you wake up. Handwriting can, uh, you know, help... Teach your mind to be more mindful of your dreams and nightmares. Examine your dietary entries for patterns or indications uh, from previous dreams. Uh, Another uh, thing is that experiment with uh, the induction of lucid dreams and the menamenomic. So the induction of lucid dreams M-I-L-D approach is based on prospective memory which is you know a type of memory that includes making a plan for a future action uh, concentrate on a recent dream you remember as you fall off to sleep identify a dream sign Um something strange about the circumstances of your recalled dream and uh, set your purpose uh, to return to that dream and become conscious repeat a mantra to yourself um, such a, so, you know, it might help when when I dream tonight, I will remember that I'm dreaming. The MLLD technique purpose is to return to the same dream, identify the unreal aspects of your dream state, and you will yourself into a lucid dream. Also, uh, wake back to bed. Some people can produce lucid dreams by getting up in the middle of the night and then returning to sleep after a specific period of time has elapsed. Awake wake-back-to-bed is frequently used in combination with the MILD approach. Um, when these two strategies uh, are combined, the most effective period between waking up and returning to sleep appears to be 30 to 120 minutes. Also, external stimulation. This approach includes activating flashlights, uh, flas- flashing lights and other stimuli while the person is in REM sleep. The logic behind this practice is that the sleeper will assimilate these uh, impulses into their dreams, therefore causing clarity.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, very interesting. And talking of... Um lucid dreaming and uh, dreaming and so on and so forth. Uh, again, this brings me back to uh, how dreaming is uh, a part of, a very, very, very uh, interesting part of Islam, where it is one way of Allah's communion with, uh, uh, with His servant and Allah's guidance and help with um, His servant. Um, so many people, there's millions and millions of people who live on this earth. But we as the Ahmadi Muslims, the followers of Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, the Messiah and Imam Mahdi of this age, we believe that God still speaks and God still hears and God still uh, talks to his people. And one of the methods is in fact through dreams. Uh, and a whole second segment has been about uh this uh, topic about dreams and um uh, uh lucid dreaming uh and it's very interesting how this plays a very very uh, uh close role in 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 the life of a believer and um it reminds me uh of a dream or a vision that the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community saw uh, more than 150 years ago, um, with regards to one of his sons, he saw in a vision that he, his son Mirza Sharif Ahmad comes, and an angel says to him that here comes the king. Uh, something along those lines, uh, and. Uh, The other angel or another person in the dream goes, he has yet to be uh, the judge or something along those lines. And uh, the promised Messiah, when he narrated this dream to one of his companions, he said that, um, what I understand from this dream is that one day my son Sharif Ahmad will be a king. And if not him, his son will be a king. And if not, then his son will definitely and surely be a king. And we saw this fulfill in April 2003 when the great-grandson of the promised Messiah and the grandson of Hazrat Mirza Sharif Ahmad uh, became the caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Musroor Ahmad. And it's also uh, a lesson for all of us And it reminds us that when Allah Ta'ala speaks to us, when God Almighty speaks to us or um, shows us a vision, it is to strengthen our faith and the faith of the people around us, if it involves people around us, if it needs to be, uh, if it's there to be told to others. And uh, with regards to this, some people are in haste and they. expect uh, that dream or the vision that they saw to be fulfilled according to their own understanding however that's not true. What is most important is to remember is that the Word of God is the truth and whatever God tells and shows you that cannot be a lie that is the truth but how it's fulfilled when it's fulfilled only God knows the individual can make a mistake in his understanding. Uh, the Holy Prophet Sallallahu In a dream Saw that he is Migrating with his companions To a uh, 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 He is in fact Going to and performing Hajj to Makkah After he had migrated to Medina And uh, He thought And Allah showed him that dream And he thought that uh, That year He will Go and uh, perform the hajj. Uh, however, the word of God was true, but it was not meant for that year. It was meant for a time later to to that. And uh, so this is a lesson for all of us that reminds us that uh, when it comes to dreams, the word of God is always true. It's in the understanding of mankind that can... Uh, be mistaken, and with that, with that, dear listeners, we have come to the end of this week's episode uh, uh, of today's breakfast show. Uh, join us again tomorrow. I would like to thank the whole team of the breakfast show, uh, to our listeners, our callers, our experts for taking their time out, our researchers. Uh, Subina Sa- uh, Saif Sabaijaz, Subia Ahmed Kashfa Noor Ahmed Saleh Ahmed Producer Halima Ahmed uh, Our Tech Team And once again to um, a very special thank you to our listeners Please join us again tomorrow uh, Same time.